Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now, here's our associate pastor to families, Tony Richmond. Well, good morning, church family. Let's open our Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we'll read verses 26 and 27, and then into James chapter 2, verse 7. James 1, 26 through chapter 2, verse 7. Title of the sermon today is Serving the Underserved. Serving the Underserved. James chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place or sit down at my feet, you have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil, in, with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Serving the underserved. Now, the book of James is a kind of book that is directly to the point. James doesn't spend a lot of time building his philosophical argument he just gets directly to the point. And James is concerned in the book of James because he is writing to Jewish Christians who evidently are at a dangerous crossroads as it relates to their faith. And James wants them to understand this truth, that it's not good enough to simply talk the talk of the faith 
we also must walk the walk of the faith. It's not good enough to simply talk the talk. We have to walk the walk. Look back in verse 16. James says, do not, of chapter 1, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Look, there is a, a temptation to believe a lie, to be deceived as it relates to the Christian faith. That as long as you intellectually believe these certain things, that you're good to go. James says, don't be deceived with that kind of thinking, intellectual knowledge in and of itself is not proof enough that you're a true Christian, that you're a true believer. It goes on in verse 19 of chapter 1 to say, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Down in verse 26 and 27 we read, it says, If anyone thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. And brothers and sisters, there's a danger that we could live an entire life full of religious activity, and at the end of the day, that religious activity and those religious words be condemned by God as worthless. How tragic would it be to live a kind of life where one thinks I am good with God because I believe intellectually these certain things and yet at the end of time stand before God and be condemned to possess a religion that is worthless before the Lord. Instead, James presents outward expressions of the faith that are godly religion. Now, for some of us, we hear that word religion, we may be tempted to be automatically turned off by this terminology. Because there are certainly religious systems in our culture that are false and that are void of true expression of faith. Maybe some of us know people who ascribe to a Catholic faith. And there are these rituals and there are these standards that set the stage for this kind of faith. And the scripture says, without those things flowing from a heart, that has been transformed. They're worthless rituals and religions. Maybe we're tempted to think about other worldly religions like Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam or even Mormonism where there's a structure of behavior and action where people believe if they do these certain things, they can satisfy God enough to show them mercy 
and grace. The Bible says these religious systems are hollow and are worthless. And if we're not careful, even our own religious systems can be condemned as worthless as well. But the word, the word religion simply means outward expressions of a living faith. So this is what James spends the rest of his letter teaching about. What are some of the true outward expressions of a person who has true God-given Christian faith? He primarily touches on three of them. We're going to look at chapter 2 primarily this morning. But the other ones in chapter 3 talks about the tongue. Look, brothers and sisters, the words that come out of our mouth, the way we speak to one another, the way we talk is to be an outward expression of a living faith. And then in chapters 4 and 5, he talks about a pure life. That as we commit to purity in our living, that is an outward expression of true God-given faith. But today, this morning, here's our key point. A key outward expression of true Christian faith is compassionate service toward the underserved that flows from a heart full of mercy. Let me say it again. A key outward expression of true Christian faith is compassionate service toward the underserved that flows out of a heart full of faith. Let's look at the passage beginning in chapter 2, verse 1. Here's James direct and to the point teaching. My brothers, show no partiality. Your translation may say, do not show favoritism or make no distinctions. But the instruction is clear and to the point. There is a danger in treating people in different ways according to their outward appearance. Or even more importantly than that, treating people in different ways according to our perceived understanding of their usefulness in our lives or in the kingdom of God. Did you hear it? There is a danger in treating people according to what we perceive that person's usefulness to be in our lives or in the kingdom of God. Now, James certainly knew his Bible. Maybe he heard his brother Jesus quoting the law. But listen to this from Deuteronomy chapter 10. James almost certainly was thinking about this passage when he wrote our passage today. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, here it is, who is not partial and takes no bribe. 
He executes justice for the fatherless and for the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the sojourner. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Do you know why we ought to not show partiality and treat people with distinctions? Because God doesn't. That's not the God that we serve. We serve a God who is impartial, who seeks to use all kinds of people for His glory and for His kingdom. I don't know if you heard it in the Deuteronomy passage. He says, care for the sojourner. Why? Because at one time, you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Brothers and sisters, if we want to have a heart that is bent towards serving the underserved, we have to realize that at one time we were the underserved. We were the one who needed mercy. We were the ones who were in bondage to our sin. And God in His love reached out to us and rescued us. James is saying clearly that while we live in a culture that ranks people and that segregates people and clumps people according to their accent, according to their sports team, according to their finances, or what kind of car they drive, or where their kids go to school, or what status they have in the community, we must be careful not to allow that culture to follow us into our churches. James says, keep oneself unstained from the world. And if we're not careful, here's one way we can be stained by our culture. We can start thinking like the world thinks. We treat people according to what's in it for me. How's this going to advance my life goals? How's this going to make me look good? And there's no place for that type of grouping of people within the household of God or within the Christian life. This is important. The spiritual principle is clear. Do not show partiality. Then in verses 2 and 3, James gives us an example, two guys walk into our gathering, right? One of the men is dressed in nice clothing. It says in verse 3, he wears fine clothing. And we give specific attention to this person saying, you sit here in the good place while the poor man in shabby clothing gets, you stand back here. You sit over here. Why would we do that? Because the perception is this guy in nice clothes has more to offer to God than the guy in the shabby clothes. And there's nothing further from the truth. Show no partiality. Serve all kinds of people. Why? Because who are the people God uses? What kinds of people is it that God uses for His kingdom? 
Remember in 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel comes to a guy named Jesse. Right? He tells Jesse, the next king of God's people is coming from your family, one of your sons. So gather all your sons together. So Jesse gets his sons. He lines them up. Samuel comes and says, Jesse, are these all of them? Jesse says, well, yeah, basically, except for the one that's the farmer kid out there in the field taking the sheep. Right, that was David. And Samuel says, bring him. Because in 1 Samuel chapter 16, it says, man looks at the outward appearance, but where is God looking? God is looking at the heart. This is the perspective that we need to have if we want to serve the underserved. We have to look at the heart. We need to gain the perspective of God on people that beyond the college rings, beyond the bank balances, beyond the cars and the degrees and the outward appearance, we have to look on the basis of the spiritual reality. If not, we fall into sin. Look in verse 4. He says, if you view people like this, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Acting in this way is no less than evil. We can become blind to the attitude of God for the needy. Because let's face it, doesn't matter how much money or prestige or social status a person has, none of that changes a person's spiritual reality. And we can be tempted to look at people who seem to have a lot by the world's standards and to equate that with spiritual health. And we ought to not do that. We ought to look at all people with this idea that on the outside, they may be well cared for, but on the inside, they may be desperate for the love of God and the intervention of God's care in their life. Now, if you remember in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is talking about some of the churches. And in verse 9 of chapter 2, he's talking about a church in Smyrna that evidently had a lot of resources. And Jesus says this, I know of your affliction and your poverty, though you are rich. See, Jesus knew that on the outside, they have it all. But on the inside, they possessed affliction and poverty. We must share God's view in this way. And then brothers and sisters, just as we, we've just sang, our, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. It's only when we have a clear view of God's mercy on our lives that we're ready to show mercy to others. Remember the story of Jonah. God calls Jonah to take the, 
the message of God to these wicked Assyrian people called the Ninevites. And Jonah basically says, these people do not deserve God's grace. They don't deserve to hear the message, so I'm not going. So what does God do? He puts him in the belly of a big fish. And in the belly of that big fish, what do we find Jonah doing? Crying out for mercy. God, save me. And it was only at that point that Jonah became equipped to take the good news to the Ninevites when he recognized the mercy that he needed in his own life. And that's true of you and I as well. If we don't see our need for God's mercy, we will not be bent towards serving the underserved who need God's mercy so desperately. Now quickly, starting in verse 6, James asks a series of three rhetorical questions. At the end of verse 6, he says, um, I'm sorry, verse 5, he says, Did God not choose the poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom of God? The answer is yes, he did. Now, there are certainly people like Abraham and Solomon in the Scriptures who had a lot of material wealth. But by and large, throughout the biblical record, what we see is God using people who have very little or nothing to offer to God materially and using those people to build up His kingdom and to do His work. So the answer is yes. And then in verse 6, he asked the second rhetorical question, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and drag you into court? Look, the people who you are looking at, based on their outward appearances and what they have to offer, they're the ones that are going to use you based on what they can get out of you. So what are they doing? They're dragging you into court to use you for their own personal gain. It's this dangerous cycle. And then the third rhetorical question in verse 7, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Now what's the remedy for this kind of thinking? Unfortunately, many times we approach the Bible and it exposes to us where we're falling short, where maybe we've bought into this kind of thinking. And in order for the remedy, here's what we can be tempted to do. Go to Amazon and find the next book that talks about how to address this. Or go to the next bookstore that helps us with this. Look, brothers and sisters, we have all that we need right here in the Bible. It doesn't only point out to us our shortfalls. It gives us the remedy. And the remedy is found for this kind of thinking 
Back in chapter 2, verse 1. Look at it. My brothers, show no partiality. Here it is. As you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Do you want to have a heart that's bent toward serving the underserved? Here's what James says you need to do. Focus, think about, grasp onto, hold onto the truths of the gospel message. This is what changes our hearts. The faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The truths that Jesus left the glories and riches of heaven to become a poor man on earth, to go to the cross and die a sacrificial death for those who desperately needed His mercy. That's what we have to set our, our eyes on and our minds on if we want to be the kind of people who serve the underserved. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. That though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor so that by His poverty you might become rich. Think about the Gospel message. When I was helpless, He died for me. When I was poor, He gave me riches. When my righteousness was as filthy rags, He clothed me. When I was in spiritual hunger, He fed me. When I was, um, when I was lost, He found me. When I was a stranger, He welcomed me. When I was in possession of nothing, He gave me everything. When I was polluted by sin, He lovingly embraced me. When I was spiritually dead, He resurrected me in love. Brothers and sisters, that's the Gospel. Brothers and sisters, that's what changes our hearts when we set our minds on those spiritual truths. Now practically, what does this look like to serve the underserved? Well, maybe it means that we need to be intentional about setting aside time in our lives to do this. Some of us have some good intentions. We hear this and we think about serving the underserved and we say, oh yeah, that's a good thing to do. But one of the strategies that Satan uses against us is simply busyness. We're so busy that there's not space in our lives to accommodate this kind of service. That when we see a person in need, we don't have the time we perceive to meet that need. Last week, my family and I were in New York City and we got to experience the joys of the subway system there. And with three little kids, you know the door opens and it's like panic to make sure everybody gets in before the door closes. And if you've been there, you know there are people asking for help. 
And the illustration is this. We would see people that needed help, but the door was open and we had to go. Look, sometimes in our lives, we need to be okay to say, let's let the door close and meet this person's need and serve this person and not be so busy with all the things that we have to do. And let me, let me just get very practical. In two weeks at the 8.30 service, we're looking for four people who would work in our nursery and rock babies. The littlest babies that we have, we need four people who will say, at 8.30 I'll come and I'll rock those babies. Look, serve the underserved. What can those babies do to help you to speak into your spiritual walk here at church? I'm not sure. But I know we need people to be down there serving. Look, the Lord has brought to our church family some people who have kids with special needs. And that's a blessing. But we need buddies who will say, I will sit with the child who has special needs. I will sit in a, their Sunday school class with them and be their buddy so that they can be in a class and hear and participate with what's going on. There are numerous ways to serve even the underserved as it relates to our church family. But it extends beyond the walls of our church as well, right? We talk about things like foster care and adoption. Look, if you get involved in those things, you're doomed for headache and inconvenience and all the things that come along with it. But that's what service is all about. And even bigger than that, like, let me just say this, we're living in a culture that says, serve with caution. Make sure you walk a certain line. Here's what I mean by that. If I were to encourage us this morning to extend compassionate service to women in the workforce that are being abused and misaligned, some would label me as a leftist liberal. If I were to encourage us to extend compassionate service to the unborn, others may label me as a right-wing conservative. Compassion for racial minorities, he leans left. Compassion for first responders, he leans right. Compassion for immigrants, he leans left. Compassion for veterans, he leans right. Brothers and sisters, the compassion of Jesus does not walk down political party lines. It is simply compassionate care to all that God brings into our path. May we not fall into the trap of believing those lies. May we instead extend compassionate service to the un underserved that the Lord brings into our life. Now, let me close with this. We have to keep these things in balance because God's plan for social transformation is not simply meeting someone's physical or emotional needs. God's plan for social transformation 
is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. But here's the beautiful thing. As we serve the underserved, as we meet physical needs, as we care for people with deep emotional needs, we have more opportunities to proclaim the hope that can be found only in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're called to. A key element, a key outward expression of true Christian faith is compassionate service toward the underserved that flows from a heart full of mercy. Let's pray. Lord God, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you made us alive in Christ. And while we deserved your justice, you sent Jesus to take our place, to bear the weight of our sin, even though he didn't deserve it, so that you may extend to us your mercy. And God, may we be so drenched in that mercy that we freely share it with all that we come into contact with. Lord, and I know for, for many of us, there are specific areas of passionate service that you call us to. You lay specific areas of service onto each of our hearts. And so, Lord, whatever that is, help us to be obedient. Help us to slow down. Help us to not be so busy that we can't pause and serve someone else who desperately needs not only maybe physical needs or emotional things, but desperately needs the gospel to be proclaimed in their lives. God, we want to be faithful and your word has exposed to us a danger, a dangerous type of thinking. May we be doers of your word and not hearers only. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.